0: Chapter 9 of The Myths and Fables of Today by Samuel Adams Drake. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by April 6090, California, United States of America. The Myths and Fables of Today by Samuel Adams Drake. Chapter 9 of evil omens a woman's story at a winter's fire macbeth we come now to those things considered as distinctly unlucky and to be avoided accordingly how common is the peevish exclamation of that's just my luck spilling the salt picking up a pin with the point toward you crossing a knife and fork or giving any one a knife or other sharp instrument are all deemed of sinister import now one must not kill a toad which though ugly and venomous wears yet a precious jewel in its head or a grasshopper possibly by reason of the veneration in which this voracious little insect was held by the athenians whose favorite symbol it was although it is now outlawed and a price set upon its head as a pest to be ruthlessly exterminated by some of the western states so too with the warning not to kill a spider against which nevertheless the housemaid's broom wages relentless war if on the contrary you do not kill the first snake seen in the spring bad luck will follow you all the year round be it ever so badly bruised however the belief holds fast in the country that the reptile will not die until sunset or with the expiring day that like a wounded snake drags its slow length along the peacock's feathers were supposed to be unlucky from an old tradition associating its gaudy colors with certain capital sins which these colors were held to symbolize nevertheless this tall and haughty feather has been much the fashion of late years as an effective mantle ornament showing how reckless some people can be regarding the prophecy of evil getting married before breakfast is considered unlucky it would be quite as logical to say this of any other time of the day hence unlucky to get married at all though it is not believed all married people will cordially subscribe to the hearsay may is an unlucky month to be married in so also if you marry in lent you will live to repent old burton says marriage and hanging go by destiny matches are made in heaven getting out of bed on the wrong side bodes ill luck for the rest of the day a common remark to a person showing ill humour is i guess you got out of the wrong side of the bed this morning it has in fact become a proverb to begin dressing yourself by putting the stocking on the left foot first would be trifling with fortune i know a man who would not do so on any account it is also unlucky to put a right foot into a left-hand shoe or vice versa these are necessary corollaries of the right foot foremost superstition according to that merry gentleman samuel butler augustus having be oversight, put on his left shoe for his right had like to have been slain that day by soldiers mutinying for their pay cutting the finger-nails on the sabbath is a bad omen there is a set of rhymed rules for the doing of even this trifling act apparently the chinese know the omen as they do not cut the nails at all of the harmless dragonfly or devil's darning needle country girls say that if one flies in your face it will sew up your eyes in some localities i have heard it said that if two persons walking together should be parted by a post a tree or a person in their path something unlucky will surely result unless they straightway mutter bread and butter bread and butter lo the pirate would not let his crew work on the sabbath not so much we suppose from conscientious scruples as for fear it would bring him bad luck the rest of the decalogue did not seem to bother him in the least after having once started on an errand or a journey it is unlucky to go back even if you have forgotten something of importance all persons afflicted with frequent lapses of memory should govern themselves accordingly this belief seems clearly grounded upon the dreadful fate of Loft's wife it was always held unlucky to break a piece of crockery as a second and a third piece shortly will be broken also. This is closely associated with the belief respecting the number three. Elsewhere referred to, in New England, it is commonly said that if you should break something on Monday, bad luck will follow you all the rest of the week. To stumble in going upstairs is also unlucky. Perhaps to stumble at any other time. Friar Lawrence says in Romeo and Juliet, They stumble that run fast two persons washing their hands in the same basin or in the same water will quarrel unless the sign of the cross be made in the water it is considered unlucky to take off a ring that was the gift of a deceased person an engagement or a marriage ring the term hoodoo, almost unknown in the northern united states a few years ago has gradually worked its way into the vernacular until it is in almost everybody's mouth it is perhaps most lavishly employed during the baseball season as everyone knows who reads the newspapers to describe something that has cast a spell upon the players so bringing about defeat the term is then hoodooing the hoodoo may be anything particularly ugly or repulsive seen on the way to the game a deformed old woman a one-legged man a lame horse or a blind beggar for instance most players are said to give full credit to the power of the hoodoo to bewitch them. Indeed, the term has been quite widely taken up as the synonym for bad luck, or rather the cause of it, even by the business world. If this is not, to all intents, a belief in witchcraft, it certainly comes close to what passed for witchcraft 200 years ago. This vagrant and ill-favored word hoodoo is, again, the corruption of the voodoo of the ignorant blacks of the south with whom in fact it stands as some say for witchcraft pure and simple or perhaps the black art as practised in africa while others pronounce it to be a religious rite only more than this the voodoo also is a mystic order into whose unholy mysteries the neophyte is inducted with much barbaric ceremony in the case of a white woman so initiated in louisiana This consisted in the elect chanting a weird incantation, while the novitiate, clad only in her shift, danced within a charmed circle, formed of beef bones and skeletons, toads' feet and spiders, with camphor and kerosene oil sprinkled about it. All those present join in the dance to the accompaniment of tom-toms and other rude instruments, until physical exhaustion compels the dancers to stop, in its main features we find a certain resemblance between the voodoo dance of the ignorant blacks and the ghost dance practised by some of the wild indians of the west and by means of which they are wrought up to the highest pitch of frenzy so preparing the way for an outbreak such as occurred a few years ago with most lamentable results while the sporting fraternity is notoriously addicted to the hoodoo superstition yet it is by no means confined to them alone not long ago a statement went the rounds of the newspapers to the effect that the superstitious wife of a certain well-known millionaire had refused to go on board of their palatial yacht because one of the crew had been fatally injured by falling down a hatchway in plain english the accident had hoodooed the ship but the power of the hoodoo would seem not to be limited to human beings according to this statement taken from the columns of a reputable newspaper a meadow at bidford maine is known as the hoodoo lawn for the reason that rain follows every time it is mowed before the grass can be cured it is said that this has occurred for twenty-five consecutive years to break the spell of the hoodoo it is essential to have a mascot over which the malign influence can have no power as to have an antidote against poisons Therefore, most ball players carry a mascot with them. Sometimes it is a goat or a dog, or again a black sheep, that is gravely led thrice around the field before the play begins. It is not learned whether or not the different kinds of mascot have ever been pitted against each other. Perhaps the effect would be not unlike that described by Cicero in his treatise on divination. He says there that Cato, one day, met a friend who seemed in a very troubled frame of mind on being asked what was the matter the friend replied oh my friend i fear everything this morning when i awoke i saw shall i say it a mouse gnawing my shoe well said cato reassuringly calm yourself the prodigy really would become frightful if the shoe had been gnawing the mouse naval ships often carry a goat or some other animal as a mascot in deference to jack's well-known belief in its peculiar efficacy and in naval parades the goat usually gravely marches in the procession and comes in for his share of the applause simple-minded jack christens his favorite gun after some favorite prize-fighter and why not since the great nelson himself carried a horseshoe nailed to his masthead and since even some of our college football teams bring their mascots upon the field just like other folk the war with spain could hardly fail of bringing to light some notable examples of the superstitions of sailors concerning mascots the destruction of admiral cervera's fleet off santiago de cuba by the american fleet under command of admiral sampson is freshly remembered one of the destroyed spanish ships was named the colon twenty-six days after the battle the tugboat right arm of the merritt chapman wrecking company visited the colon For the purpose of raising the Spanish cruiser. The only living thing aboard was a black and white cat. For nearly a month, it had been the sole crew and commander of the wrecked battleship. The crew of the right arm took possession of the cat, adopted it as a mascot, and named it Thomas Cervera. But Cervera brought ill luck. When Lieutenant Hobson raised the Maria Teresa, the rescued cat was placed aboard her to be brought to America. The Maria Teresa never reached these shores and when the vessel grounded off the bahamas the cat fell into the hands of the natives he was rescued the second time and at last reached america a passenger on the united states repair ship vulcan it will be admitted that this cat did not belie that article of the popular belief which ascribes nine lives to his tribe but poor thomas Sereva did not long survive the various hardships and perils to which he had been subjected he gave up the ghost shortly after all these were happily ended speaking of ships and sailors it is well known to all seafaring folk that the reputation of a ship for being lucky or unlucky is all-important and this reputation may begin at the very moment when she leaves the stocks should she unfortunately stick on the ways in launching a bad name is pretty sure to follow her during the remainder of her career and to be an important factor in her ability to ship a crew even the practice of christening a ship with a bottle of wine is neither more nor less than a survival of pagan superstition by which the favor of the gods was invoked the superstition regarding thirteen persons at the table also boasts a remarkable vitality just when or how it originated is uncertain it has been surmised however that the paschal supper was the beginning of this notion for there were thirteen persons present then and what followed is not likely to be forgotten it has perhaps been the subject of greater ridicule than any other popular delusion probably from the fact of its touching convivial man in his most tender part to wit the stomach in london some of the literary and other lights even went to the trouble of forming a thirteen club for the avowed purpose of breaking down the senseless notion that if thirteen persons were to sit down to dinner together one of them would die within a twelfth month. The motto of this club should have been, all men must die, therefore all men should dine. If the club's proceedings showed no lack of invention and mother wit, we still should very much doubt their efficacy toward achieving the avowed end and aim of the club's existence, for surely such extravagances could have no other effect than to raise a laugh we reproduce an account of the affair for the reader's amusement at the dinner of the club above mentioned there were thirteen tables a similar number of guests being seated at each table the serving of the meal was announced by the shivering of a mirror placed on an easel a ceremony performed by two cross-eyed waiters having put on green neckties and placed a miniature skeleton in their buttonholes the guests passed under a ladder into the dining-room the tables were lighted with small lamps placed on plaster skulls skeletons were suspended from the candles which were thirteen in number on each table the knives were crossed the salt stands were in the shape of coffins with headstones bearing the inscription in memory of many senseless superstitions killed by the london thirteen club eighteen ninety four the salt spoons were shaped like a gravedigger's spade after the dinner was fairly started the chairman asked the company to spill salt with him and later on he invited them to break looking-glasses with him all of which having been done he presented the chairman of the different tables with a knife each on condition that nothing was given for them in return an undertaker clothed in a variety costume which would have done credit to a first-class music hall was then introduced to take orders but he was quickly shuffled out of the room these unbelieving jesters who so audaciously defied the fatal omen did not seem to realize that a popular superstition is not to be laughed out of existence in so summary a manner equally futile was the attempt to put it to a scientific test as if tried by that means it appears that of any group of thirteen persons the chances are about equal that one will die within the year therefore the attempt to break the spell by inviting a greater number of persons could have the effect only of increasing rather than diminishing the probability of the event so much dreaded it has been stated in the newspapers from which i take it that there are many hotels in new york which contain no room numbered thirteen there are other hotels and office buildings wherein the rooms that are so numbered cannot be leased except once in a great while In large hotels one custom is to letter the first thirteen rooms and call them parlors another custom is simply to skip the unpopular number and call the thirteenth room number fourteen a man who had just rented an office which bears the objectionable number in a downtown building asserts that though he has no superstitious dread of the number he finds that others will not transact business with him in that office i also find it stated as a fact that the new monster passenger steamship oceanic has no cabin or seat at the table numbered thirteen it was again instanced as a death-blow to a certain candidate's hopes of a reelection to the united states senate that repeated ballotings showed him to be just thirteen votes short of the required number from the same state pennsylvania comes this highly significant announcement in regard to a baseball team because the team left here on a very rainy day and on a train that pulled out from track number thirteen the superstitious local fans are in a sad state of mind tonight regarding the coincidences as an evil omen again the small number of six in the graduating class of a certain high school was gravely referred to as owing to their having originally been thirteen in that class at the same time there are exceptions which however the superstitious may claim only go to prove the rule for instance the thirteen colonies did not prove so very unlucky a venture as regards the superstitions of actors and actresses the following anecdote though not new probably as truly reflects the state of mind existing among the profession to-day as it did when the incident happened to which it refers when the celebrated Madame Rachel returned from Egypt in 1857, she asked Arsene Husset within a year thereafter the question, Do you recollect the dinner we had at the house of Victor Hugo? There were 13 of us, Hugo and his wife, you and your wife, Rebecca and I, Girardin and his wife, Gerard de norval Pradier, Alfred de Musset, pere of the Sequel, and the Count d'Orsay, 13 in all well where are they today? victor hugo and his wife are in jersey your wife is dead madame de girondin is dead my sister rebecca is dead de nerval Pretier, alfred de messet and d'orsay are dead i say no more there remain but gerardin and you adieu my friends never laugh at thirteen at a table the world however especially that part of it represented by diners out goes on believing in the evil augury just the same a dinner-party is recalled at which two of the invited guests were given seats at a side-table on account of that terrible bugbear thirteen at table when mentioning the circumstance to a friend he was reminded of an occasion where an additional guest had been summoned in haste to break the direful spell unquestionably the newspapers might do much toward suppressing the spread of superstition by refusing to print such accounts as this taken from a boston daily paper as probably nothing is read by a certain class with greater avidity it says that engine number thirteen of the boston hoosack tunnel and western railroad has within three weeks killed no less than three men the railway hands fear the locomotive and say that its number is unlucky It is true, we understand, that the standard number of a wrecked locomotive that has been in a fatal accident is not unfrequently changed in deference to this feeling on the part of the engine men. It is held to be unlucky to pass underneath a ladder, an act which indeed might be dangerous to life or limb should the ladder fall, but it is even harder to understand the philosophy of the dictum that to meet a squinting woman denotes ill-luck the bird was formerly accounted an unlucky symbol perhaps from the fact that good fortune like riches is apt to take itself wings the hooting of an owl the croaking of a raven the cry of a whippoorwill and even the sight of a solitary magpie were always associated with malignant influences or evil presages Poe's raven furnishes the theme for one of his best-known poems and the swan was long believed to sing her own death-song be that as it may the fact is well remembered that a ring bearing the device of a bird upon it or any other object having the image of the feathered kind was not considered a suitable gift to a woman that article of superstition like some others that could be mentioned has vanished before the resistless command of fashion so completely indeed that birds of every known clime and plumage have since been considered the really proper adornment for women's headgear there is however an odd superstition connected with the magpie an instance of which is found related by lord roberts in forty-one years in india we could not do better than give it in his own words on the fifteenth of july major cavignari who had been selected as the envoy and plenipotentiary to the emir of Kabul, arrived in curam i with some fifty officers who were anxious to do honour to the envoy and see the country beyond karam marched with cavignari to within five miles of the crust of shutter pass where we encamped and my staff and i dined that evening with the mission after dinner i was asked to propose the health of cavignari and those with him but somehow i did not feel equal to the task i was so thoroughly depressed and my mind filled with such gloomy forebodings as to the fate of these fine fellows that i could not utter a word early next morning that sidar who had been deputed by the emir to receive the commission came into camp and soon we all started for the top of the pass as we ascended curiously enough we came across a solitary magpie which i should not have noticed had not cavignari pointed it out and begged me not to mention the fact of his having seen it to his wife as she would be sure to consider it an unlucky omen on descending to the afghan camp we were invited to partake of dinner served in the oriental fashion on a carpet spread on the ground everything was done most lavishly and gracefully nevertheless i could not feel happy as to the prospects of the mission and my heart sank as i wished cavignari good-bye when we had proceeded a few yards in our different directions we both turned round retraced our steps shook hands once more and parted forever the sequel is told in the succeeding chapter between one and two o'clock on the morning of the fifth of september i was awakened by my wife telling me that a telegraph man had been wandering around the house and calling for some time but that no one had answered him the telegram told me that my worst fears had been only too fully realized cavignari and his party had been massacred by the afghans Again, there are certain things which may not be given to a male friend, young, unmarried ministers excepted, such, for example, as a pair of slippers, because the recipient will be sure, metaphorically speaking, to walk away from the giver in them. There is also current, in some parts of New England, a belief that it is unlucky to get one's life insured, or to make one's will, under the delusion that doing either of these things will tend to shorten one's life this feeling comes of nothing less than a ridiculous fear of facing even the remote probability involved in the act and is of a piece with the studied avoidance of the subject of death or willing allusion in any way shape or form to the dead even of one's own kith and kin quite like that singular belief held by the indians which forbade any allusion to the dead whatsoever spilling the salt as an omen of coming misfortune is one of the most widespread as well as one of the most deeply rooted of popular delusions it is said to be universal all over asia is found in some parts of africa and is quite prevalent in europe and america to-day vain to deny it the unhappy delinquent who is so awkward as to spill salt at the table instantly finds all eyes turned upon him worse still the antidote once practiced of flinging three pinches of salt over the left shoulder is no longer admissible in good society instantly every one present mentally recalls the omen his host may politely try to laugh it off but all the same a visible impression of something unpleasant remains something was said in another place about the potency of the number three to effect a charm either for good or for evil firemen and railroad men are more or less given to the belief that if one fire or one accident occurs it will inevitably be followed by two more fires or accidents a headline in a boston newspaper now before me reads the same old three fires in succession and then hypocritically exclaims how the superstitious point to the recurrence the superstition about railroad accidents is by no means confined to the trainmen or other employees but to some extent at least is shared even by the higher officials who point to their past experiences in the management of these iron highways as fully establishing to their minds certain conditions one of these gentlemen once said to me after a bad accident on his road it is not so much this one particular accident that we dread as what is coming after it i also knew of a conductor who asked for a leave of absence immediately after the occurrence of a shocking wreck on the line although periodically confronted with a long series of most momentous events in the world's history that have happened on that day of the week the superstition in regard to friday as being an unlucky day has so far withstood every assault it will not down whether it exists to so great an extent as formerly may be questioned but that it does exist in full force more especially among sailors is certain we have it on good authority that this self-tormenting delusion grew out of the fact that the saviour was crucified on friday ever after stigmatized as hangman's day and therefore set apart for the execution of criminals now as before time it is not wholly improbable that some share of the odium resting upon friday may arise from the fact of its being so regularly observed as a day of fasting or at least by some religionists in some old diaries are found entries like the following a vessel lost going out of portland against the advice of all all on board twenty seven drowned it is easy to understand how such an event would leave an indelible impression upon the minds of a whole generation notwithstanding the belief is openly scouted from the pulpit and is even boldly defied by a few unbelieving sea-captains the fact remains that there are very many sober-minded persons who could not be induced on any account to begin a journey on friday there are others who will not embark in any new enterprise or begin a new piece of work on that day and still others who even go so far as to say that you must not cut your nails on friday a man could be named who could not be tempted to close a bargain on any other day of the week than thursday it is a further fact which all connected with operating railroads will readily confirm that friday is always the day of least travel on their lines the circumstance alone seems conclusive as to the state of popular feeling apparently a brand has been set upon the sixth day of the week for all time numerous instances might be given to show that men of the strongest intellect are as fallible in this respect as men of the lowest but one such will suffice lord byron once refused to be introduced to a lady because it was friday and on this same ill-starred day would never pay a visit see the moon through the glass you'll have trouble while it lasts this warning couplet is still a household word in many parts of new england it has been observed that even those sceptical persons who profess put no faith in it whatever generally take good care to keep on the right side of the window glass as bearing upon the branch of the general subject an incident is related by a reputable authority as having occurred at a party given not many years ago by a gentleman holding a considerable station in life it is therefore repeated here word for word in the midst of a social chat at the close of the day a footman rather briskly entered the drawing-room and walked up to the back of the chair of the hostess and whispered something in her ear she immediately closed her eyes and gave her hand to the man and was forthwith led by him from the room the guests were rather astonished but after the lapse of a few moments the lady returned and resumed her seat her sudden departure having occasioned a rather uneasy pause in the conversation she felt it necessary to state the cause of her singular conduct she then told us that the new harvest moon had just made its appearance and it was her custom to give a crown to any of her servants that first brought the information to her when that event occurred and that the reason why she closed her eyes and was led by the footman out of the room to the open air was that she might avoid the evil consequences that was sure to happen to her if she obtained her first glimpse of the harvest moon through a pane of glass this lady was highly accomplished and possessed remarkable sagacity upon most subjects but was nevertheless a slave to a groundless fear of evil befalling her if she saw this particular new moon in any other way than in the open air. It is passing strange, however, that the gentle and beautiful queen of the night should have been mostly associated with the malignant influence. Juliet pleads with Romeo not to swear by the inconstant moon. The traditional witch gathers her simples only by the light of the moon, as at no other time do they possess the same virtues to work miraculous cures or potent spells. It is also an old belief that if a person goes to sleep, with the moonbeams shining full upon his uncovered face he will be moonstruck or become an idiot i will remember to have seen the officer of the watch awaken a number of sleepers who had taken refuge on the deck of a vessel from the stifling heat below milton speaks of moping melancholy and moonstruck madness which has become incorporated with the language under the significant name of loony. when we consider the already long list of material or immaterial objects threatening us with dire misfortune the wonder is how poor humanity should have survived so many dangers ever impending over it like the sword of of damocles really we seem walking between life and death the catalogue is however by no means exhausted a picture particularly if it be a family portrait falling down from the wall bodes a death in the family or at least some great misfortune this incident somewhat startling it must be confessed weak nerves has been quite effectively used in fiction notwithstanding it is the national colour of ireland green has the name of being unlucky more strange still is the statement made by mr parnell's biographer that the famous irish leader could not bear the sight of green queer notion this in a son of the emerald isle mr barry o'brien goes on to say that parnell would not pass another person on the stairs was horror-stricken to find himself sitting with three lighted candles that the fall of a picture in a room made him dejected for the entire afternoon and that he would have nothing to say to an important bill drawn up by a colleague because it happened to contain thirteen clauses it is added that the sight of green banners at the political meetings he addressed often unnerved him the singular actions of a pet cat have recently gained wide currency and wider comment in connection with the ill-fated steamer portland which went down with all on board during the great gale of november twenty seventh eighteen ninety eight not a soul was left to tell the tale it was remarked that the puss came off the boat before the regular hour for sailing had arrived and though she had never before been known to miss a trip she could not be called or coaxed back on board and the doomed craft therefore sailed without her as a matter of fact it has been noticed in times of great disasters like that just related superstition that has lain dormant for a time always shows a new vigour and finds a new reason for being in the course of my rambles along the new england coast i found many people holding to beliefs of one sort or another who hotly resented the mere suggestion that they were superstitious the quaint and curious delusions which have been ingrained in their lives from generation to generation they do not regard in that light for one thing they believe that if a dead body should remain in the house over sunday there will be another death in the family before the year is out the ticking of the death watch once believed to forebode the approaching dissolution of some member of the family so terrifying to our fathers and mothers is now fortunately seldom heard or little regarded while the superstition did prevail there was nothing so calculated to strike terror to the very morrow of the appalled listeners as the noise of this harmless little beetle only a quarter of an inch long tapping away in the decaying woodwork of an ancient wainscot there is no end of legendary matter concerning clocks sometimes nervous people have been frightened half out of their wits at hearing a clock that had stopped suddenly strike the hour clocks have been known to stop too at the exact hour when a death took place in the house but even more startling was an instance lately vouched for by reputable witnesses of a clock of the coffin pattern of course from which the works had been removed playing this same gruesome trick the first case might be accounted for rationally by some fault in the mechanism or some rusty spring suddenly set in motion but all theories necessarily fail with clocks without works admonitions or warnings are often associated with clocks as has been noticed in connection with marriage customs and the mystical relation between time and eternity is often brought to mind by the stopping of the watch in a drowned person's pocket or the relation of some curious legend like the following without comment or qualification in a reputable newspaper there is a curious legend about the old clock which is to be superseded by a new one at washington pennsylvania it is stated that about twenty years ago a person was hung in the courtyard the clock which had always tolled out the hour regularly stopped at the hour of two o'clock being the hour at which the drop fell that sent the unfortunate into eternity since that time many aver the clock has never struck again so also the howling of a dog either by day or by night under a sick person's window is to this day held by the weak-minded to portend the death of that person some writers think they have traced this belief to the symbolism of ancient mythology where the dog stands for the howling night wind on which the souls of the dead rode to the banks of the Styx. but this hypothesis seems quite far-fetched the winding sheet in the candle is another self-tormenting belief of evil portent now happily gone out with the candle then again to pass from this subject a single case of nosebleed often excites the liveliest fears on the part of nervous people on account of a very old belief that it was a sure omen of a death taking place in the family not long ago the following choice morsel met my eye while reading in a book our steward has this moment lost a drop of blood which involuntarily fell from his pug nose there he said i have lost my mother a good friend breaking a looking-glass denotes that a death will take place in the family within the year this mode of self-torture is supposed to derive its origin from the great use formerly made of mirrors by magicians and other obsolete impostors in carrying on their mystical trade astrologers also made use of the looking-glass in practising the art of divination or foretelling events probably by means of some such cunning contrivances as are now employed with startling effects by our own wizards and necromancers quite naturally the innocent glass itself came to be looked upon by the ignorant with superstitious awe and the breaking of one as the sure forerunner of calamity we do not think however that this old superstition is by any means as widely prevalent as it once was it is pleasing to chronicle the total disappearance of that terrible bugaboo the evil eye which so long kept our ancestors in a state of nervous apprehension fearful to contemplate It is now only perpetuated by a saying so that with other equally repulsive belief in the efficacy of touching a dead body as a means of convicting a suspected murderer by the fresh bleeding from the wound both of these superstitions were fully accepted by the first settlers of new england and perhaps also in other of the colonies john winthrop relates a very harrowing case of infanticide in which this monstrous test was put in practice to convict the erring mother the superstition is said to be of german origin the following very curious piece of superstition is found in colonel may's journal of his trip to the ohio early in the century it seems that a man had fallen into the river and was drowned before help could reach him the following method was employed to recover the body first they took the shirt which the drowned man had last worn put a whole loaf of good new bread, weighing four pounds, into it, and tied it up carefully into a bundle. The bundle was then taken in a boat to the place where the man had fallen in, a line and tackle attached to it, and then set afloat on the water. The rescuer said that the bread would float until it should come directly over the body, when it would sink, and thus discover the location of the dead man. Unfortunately, the line was not long enough so that when the loaf filled with water and sank, the tackle disappeared with it. End of chapter 9